A few informational things about Psalm 119. It is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible, so that's great. You're all going to be here for two hours as I try to get through it. Just joking. (laughs) But it is long, so we're going to try to shotgun through some themes. Um, You know, all but four verses in the whole book or the whole chapter of Psalm 119 deal in some way with the law or the word of God. There's a lot of different words used to describe it. I think it says the law, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, ordinances, the word, a promise, judgments, your faithfulness, your appointments, your justice, and your commands. So the psalmist uses a whole lot of different words to describe it, but nearly every verse is dealing in some way with the word of God and how we deal with it. You may not have realized this. It doesn't come through in English very well, but it's a very ordered book. Uh, If we can get the next slide, this might not be working. Um, So if we go through the Hebrew alphabet... It's actually ordered that every eight verses starts with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. So the first, the first eight start with one, the next eight start with the next. And so if you multiply out, you have eight verses times 22 uh, letters in the Greek alphabet, and you get to 176 verses. So it's a very ordered book. Well, why did they do that? Why was it written that way? I kind of wonder if it was just, one, a device to help people remember and study it when they were writing it in Hebrew, and the psalmist wrote it. I think a little bit it shows the completeness of the Word of God. Like like when we say God is the Alpha and the Omega, it's kind of the completeness of the Word of God. Uh, It's also saying something like it's the A to Z's. We sometimes say it's the A to Z's means it's the complete thing in our alphabet. And I think it was a little similar of the word of God encompasses everything. And a little bit of a literary device. Like if we, we could sit down today and say let's use the A to Z's to describe God and say A, God is awesome. B, God is beautiful. Um, C, God is the Christ, and so on and so forth. And we could structure it that way. And so I think they used it a little bit that way. I think Jewish, Jewish children, as they learn their alphabet, would use chapters like this that were written around the alphabet to learn the alphabet and study. It was a much studied chapter in the scripture, but um, you may not have realized that. C.S. Lewis said, This poem is not and does not pretend to be a sudden outpouring of the heart like, say, Psalm 18. It is a pattern, a thing done like embroidery, stitch by stitch. Though long, quiet hours for love and subject for the delight and leisurely disciplined craftsmanship. And so it's just a little clarity on, on how, to read this ver- how to read this chapter and how it was written. You know, you read some things in the Psalms, like Psalm 57. It says David's hiding in a cave and he's scared for his life and it's just an outpouring of his heart. God have mercy, I cry out, save me. This is not a chapter quite like this. It's more like a scribe sitting around thinking, how can we describe the word of God completely? And God is just as inspired as one of those outpourings of the heart. Uh, But it's just a different way of structuring the word and that it was written as we think about it. The authorship is not self-identified. So some Psalms will start out and say, a writing of David, a writing of Asaph. Um, This one is not. There's a large traditional camp that makes an argument that it was written by David because many of the literary devices are similar to Psalms that he did self-identify. 
There's some people out there that would say it was written by Ezra because his interest in the Word of God as written in other places that he would study and he would meditate and he made it the desire of his heart were very similar to things written in this book. So there's a camp out there that writes that. Or there's a camp out there that say it was someone completely different. I tend towards the David description as he did write a lot of psalms and it's similar, but um, it's not self-identified like some psalms. Um, Due to the length, I wish we had time to read the whole chapter. I I looked like professional readings where you just download the whole Bible on CD, take like 15 to 20 minutes just to read through it. So we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to take some themes and a few verses to pull out. But I encourage you, you know, to follow up, just even to take a quiet time and read through it and, and follow up just engaging with the Word of God and engaging with what this chapter says about how we should really um, interact with God's word. And so with that introduction and context, we're just going to look at a few things that God was touching me with about the word and a few things we can pull out. I'll warn you up front, being so long, I'm going to pull a lot of verses at us just to let it hit us what the scripture says we can learn about the law. But we'll just take a few themes that those hit and, and hopefully God touches your heart with some things to think about uh, in the scripture and it strikes you and, and God does some work. Um, so with that, the first thing, I catch that he had a great reverence for the word of God as we read through this chapter. And, and here's a few verses just that struck me on that, just the value of God's word, where he placed that. Um, Psalm 119.14 says, I have rejoiced in your law as much as in riches. Psalm 119.72, your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Psalm 119.127, truly I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. So those are kind of similar, but there's a theme there. And as I let that sink in, the psalmist is saying, having the word of God is more valuable to him than all the money you could go get. All the fame, other stuff. The word of God was of really high value. And it hits me like a ton of bricks. Having God's word, shuffling through things that are less valuable, that appear more valuable. Um, We rented... The, the children's movie Aladdin this week and my kids wanted to watch it and I was reminded of the scene where this peasant boy has to go through this cave filled with gold and rubies and unimaginable riches when he had no money to pull out this lamp and he has to walk by the things that look a lot more valuable and this dusty, dirty old lamp was actually the thing of value. And I think that's a little like our heart of there's a lot shinier things, there's a lot of other things that catch our heart and our attention but the psalmist here understood that the scripture was of more value than those things. It was valuable. I don't think we'll be put to the test like that of going through a cave and picking out the right things, but we do get put to the test in that there's a lot of things that would catch our value and catch our attention. You know, there's things we think of writing in our will and are of value. There's things in our house we would think of as valuable if we wrote it down to the insurance company. But it could be that the Bible on the shelf is the most valuable thing in our house. That's how the psalmist looked at it. He placed a high value on it. 
How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Verse 103. I'm not sure the paper or the scroll that the words were written on were literally tasted like honey or sweet. But on the same token, I also thought, well, God did have a few prophets actually eat the word of God and then go prophesy to places. Notably, Ezekiel and John both ate the scrolls and then prophesied. So maybe there's some literal interpretation. But he's saying the word of God is pleasant and sweet to him like a treat. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. He resolved that God's word would be the final word. It's the authority. When we get a piece of information, we cross-reference, we verify, and we try to find a credible word on it. You know, if we're told that the stay-in-place order is changing and we need to go back to our house because of COVID, or we're told that the quarterback of the football team has been cut, or we're told that there's an attack, we would go cross-reference that information with somewhere credible to see if it's true. You get out on your phone and go confirm it somewhere. Or turn on the nightly news. You would look at maybe your county for information on COVID. You would go to the website of a sports team to see if the information about that was true. We would verify it. And if you read something outlandish, you, could go, you can go to websites and read all kinds of outlandish information. Creamed corn is the most healthy thing ever. We should eat it for every meal. Well, you'd probably cross-reference that with your doctor or your nutritionist to find a credible source on that information. But the psalmist here says, God's words and precepts, I consider those right. They are the final word. They are the last word. You don't need to go cross-reference it. It is the reliable word. So then he builds on, we can have this reverence for God's word, and he starts to build on it, but having that reverence, what do we do with it? There's actions and attitudes he talks about as well. And so I wrote our actions and attitudes towards the word of God should reflect that reverence we just talked about in some of those verses. And so here's, here's a few, and I'll run through some attitudes that came out in his life, in his heart, as, as he wrote about the word of God and how he interacted with it. So Psalm 119, 128, he says, How I delight in your commandments, how I love them. And verse 111, Your laws are my treasure, they are my heart's delight. He delighted in God's commands. He treasured it, he, saw, he revered it, but then he also delighted in his hearts. He enjoyed them. He savored them and gained delight from reading the law, from reading the scripture. You know, I think of food, I think of delighting, somehow I think of food as one thing we could do. There's a lot of different ways to interact with it, right? You can think of someone that's in the hospital and losing weight and they interact with food by the nurse coming by and telling them how many calories they need to try to get in a day to not lose weight. Or you can think of having a nice steak dinner and just trying to savor it and enjoy it and having it come in. There's different ways we can interact with food. And I think with the scripture, there's different ways we can interact with it. We can labor through it. It can be like eating food in the hospital and we can grind through it with our time in the word. 
or we can enjoy it. It can be a delight to our heart, more like the steak dinner. And the psalmist said his heart was delighted by being in the scripture, by having the word of God. Verse 48, I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Verse 99, yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. And Psalm 94, uh, 119.94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. He meditated on the word of God. So because he revered it, he meditated on it. He rested on it. He considered deeply. And when you consider the Bible deeply, when you take a verse and you meditate on it, you start thinking things like, well, why did the person in the Bible act that way? What would the applications of that verse be for me? Are there any promises I can claim? Is there anything God would want to speak to me today? We don't get that when we read the word quick. We get that when we meditate, when we let it sink in. And the psalmist understood we need to meditate on the word of God. It's simply focused thinking, letting it go deep. What does it mean for us? You know, I think of all the onslaught of information we have. A lot of us even read our Bible on the phone. There's great apps for that. But we get hit with all this information. We get hit with emails and social media and we try to get the scripture. And if we just read the scripture and we don't let it meditate and sink deeper and have a greater place, it gets washed out a little bit, doesn't it? The psalmist understood, I need to meditate on God's word to let it sink deep. Verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Verse 81 and 82, I am worn out waiting for your rescue, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. When will you comfort me? And so he hoped in the word of God. And when we revere the word of God and we give it its proper place, we start to understand that God's word will prove itself true. That God will come through on his promises that he gave to us in the scriptures. And instead of questioning if God's word is true, instead of questioning God's character, will he come through or not? Is he good or not? Does he want good for my life? Is he working things out? Does he have a plan? Instead of having all those questions, he kept pursuing God with a hope that God would fulfill his promise. When things get tough, there's a lot of places we can go. Other people, or we can just go to dark places. We can rely on ourselves, our own strength. But the scripture indicates if we rely on God, if we put our hope in God through those things, he will fulfill his promises to us. I think there's, there's different ways we use the word hope. We can hope our sports team is going to win a lot of games this year. We can be outside playing sports and hope it doesn't rain so we don't have to go in. We can hope we can get home in traffic in a certain amount of time. We tend to think of hope that way. But biblical hope is not just wishing for the best and crossing our fingers. The biblical hope it's talking about here is that God's character 
is worthy of our trust. God will come through on his promises and we can put our hope in his scripture because he will come through on it. We can have a hope founded on the word of God because we revere it. Verse 93, I will never forget your commandments for by them you give me life. In verse 141, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. So he studied and he meditated on the word. And what did that allow him to do? It allowed him to remember God's word in other times in his life. Even being insignificant and despised in his own words, he could remember God's commandments and walk in them. And we can remember God's word when we're in times when we need encouragement, when we need guidance, when we need strength. God's word on our hearts through meditation, through memorization, through reading it. We can remember God's word in those times. And we're making a decision, and it needs to be quick. What's in the forefront of our minds? Is it God's commands, or is it something else? The psalmist remembered God's word in those times. Your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. What was in his songs? What was in his heart? The word of God. You know, we know that many of the psalms were actually songs, and they're written down, and they'll even tell the instrument that should be played along with it. I'm sure the music was passed down for generations that we've somehow lost now, and it wouldn't translate very well to English. But he sang the word of God, and he praised God through the word, through what it says about him. Some of my heroes in the faith, some of the people uh, before us in our movement of churches, would do just this thing, just sing the word of God. I know, I see Dave's picture on there, but I know Dave was in some circles where they would just get out a guitar or a keyboard, open up the psalm, and sing it together, and that would be the worship. They sang the word. They'd open up one passage to teach on, one passage to sing, or maybe do the same. But they sang the word of God because it was truth in our heart we could worship God with. That's where our heritage is. It also says he worshipped wherever I have lived. And that caught my eye that through all the seasons, through all the places we move and the things we go through, He says, your decrees have been the theme of my song through all those places I have lived. We can continue to worship God through those things, through life, through things changing. That's the example we have here. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commands. Verse 66. He believed the word of God. Do we take God's word is truth, really simply. You could look on the internet and find vitriol about the Bible. Probably about every verse in the Bible, you could go find someone that has a reason. They personally don't like it. You could find an argument. But do we fundamentally believe God at his word? Do we believe in his commandments as something we could bank on, as something we could trust in? Do we hold on to the book as the inherent word of God? A book that's meant to give us judgment and knowledge, as the verse says. And is our standard that the word is true? 
Romans 3, 4 talks about there's going to be people that believe and don't believe and, and how do we sort all this out? Does, does it mean that if people don't believe, something's wrong? And Romans 3, 4 says, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. If they do not believe in God or his word, Our belief and trust in what we read in the scripture has a great impact in how it touches our soul and how we read it. You know, I think about when we read the news, we generally believe it. But if you turn on the nightly news, you go to a certain website, they're going to have a political spin. They're going to have some agenda and how it comes out. And we inherently know that the news gets filtered through that sort of thing. So you take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. All the way down to if you can have fake news sites that are kind of funny. There used to be the National Enquirer or there's the Onion newspaper. And you kind of knew, if I'm going to pick up the National Enquirer, it's going to be funny, but that story has no credibility. Right? It's written down. It looks like a newspaper, but it's not credible. So we have a low degree in confidence. But when we read the Word of God, it should be the other end of the spectrum. It's ultimate credibility. We believe with our heart is true, and we read it with the word of God like that. It's inerrant. It's God's word to us. We don't need to filter it through our own interpretation. We just take it as truth and figure out how do we apply it. Verse 59 and 60, I pondered the direction of my life, and I turned to follow your laws. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. And if we take God's word as the final direction, what did he do? He repented of areas he wasn't obeying. If we read God's word and it says something different than we're doing, do we, we could sulk about it, we could ignore it, we could write it off, we could call it outdated for 2020, it was written thousands of years ago, I don't need to listen. But what did he do? He changed himself to align with God's word. So when we consider the word of God, do we change what we're doing to align with it? Do we repent or do we let our flesh have reign? We're going to be faced with that every day. A whole bunch of times thinking, am I going to, am I going to repent to God's word? Am I going to change what I'm doing or am I going to let my flesh have the final word? Similarly, verse 44, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Verse 110, the wicked have set traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So he obeyed God's word. He read it not as something that was informational, not as something that he could set aside, not as something that was just to philosophize about but something that would actually change his actions. We should read God's word, change what we're doing, and obey it as we interact with it. And so we see that he had a reverence for God's word, and then his actions started to come through in that, as he believed it, as he sang it, as he meditated on it, as he obeyed it. You know, all these ways he put it into his life as the reverent word of God. And next, there's a lot of verses about the impact that God's word has on us. God's word has a profound impact on us. If we do all those things to interact with it and we let it touch our life, 
We're not the same people. God will have a profound impact on us through his word. God's promises will change our inner man. Verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. Verse 24, your testimonies are to my delight. They are my counselors. And verse 98, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is with ever with me. Do you want to be seen as wise? Do I want to be seen as wise? Do you want to know what to do in hard situations? Do you want to give... Do you want to have wisdom over a dull culture that seems to have less wisdom within it? God will give understanding to even the simplest of us if we know and understand his word. It gives understanding to us. Verse 133, Guide my steps by your word, so I will not be overcome by evil. Verse 105, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light from my path. The word guides us. How do we set a path for our life? Is it where we get the most money? Is it what makes us happy? Is it where the weather's warm? Or is it the word of God? Is it his instruction in our life? Do we make sure that the major steps of our life align with God's word and we let it speak? Because God's word will guide us. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. And verse 25, I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. So the word will give us strength. With God, we can do hard things. Whether it's witnessing, saying no to sin, making daily decisions to seek God, treating other people as we ought to, or just coming through hard times in faith, God's word will give us strength through those things as it works on us. We need strength to go through it. And when we believe his promises in our inner man, he gives us the strength to do the things he calls us into. In our own strength, we can't live out the Christian life only with God. Verse 92 and 93, if your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. I will not forget your commandments, for by them you give me life. God's word sustains us. Sustaining is keeping something going or supporting it. An afternoon snack sustains us in between lunch and dinner so we don't get too frail from not eating. We're going to face trials and storms in this life. We've faced those. The word of God will help sustain us by understanding his promises through those times. It will keep us from falling off the path. God will use it to keep us going, to remind us with truth. In this verse, he mentioned, I would have died in my misery don't know exactly what was going on, but it's strong language. The circumstances would have been too great for him to bear. But God's word sustained him until God could change those circumstances or God brought him home from this life. In the toughest of times, we have God's promises to sustain us as well. 
We know we have the hope of heaven to be with loved ones we've lost, to be free of ailments, to be free of the troubles of this life. Those are all promises in the word of God that we can bank on. And God will work on our life and sustain us through having those promises in our heart. Verse 59, I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me because I need it. Verse 75. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Verse 29. The word of God disciplines us and brings repentance in our life. It isn't a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a loving thing towards us. I think of a sports coach that was telling me I was doing it wrong and by changing what I could do, I could be better at it. And I had a decision to change and do what they were talking about and I would get better. Didn't mean they hated me. If they yelled at me about something, it meant they wanted me to be better and do it right, to have success. When we read God's word, it should bring repentance in our life. It should change our thinking. It should replace lies and other things we've held on to with the truth of God, with what's real, with what God says. And when we believe and we revere God's word as the final word, we repent and we change our thinking. And God will work to replace our thinking with truth, with his word. God uses his word to put us back on the path. If we veer off, it's like a sign that says, no, you were supposed to go back that way, or you're going to walk off the side, you're going to walk off the cliff. We don't discipline our chores, I mean, discipline our two-year-old to do chores because we hate him or we want to be mean. We discipline our two-year-old to do chores because when he's two, by the time he's four, he should be able to put away silverware. He should be able to do those things. And we discipline him when he's two so that he can learn to do those things. He can learn how to function. He can learn how to help. He can grow into a young man that understands God's truth. We discipline him because we love him. We discipline him to not touch the stove because we don't want him to burn his hands. We love him when we discipline And God disciplines us so that we can have life. God disciplines us through the word for us to repent so that we can stay on the right track in our life. Verse 1 and 2, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk is in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Very simply, God says over and over we will have blessing in our life if we obey God's word. When we seek God in the word, when we obey it, when we know God that way, when we meditate on it, it will bless us. It will bring blessing into our life. He will bring good into our life through the word of God. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. When we learn God's word, we grow in praise and worship of God. We understand who God is. We understand what he's done for us. We understand his character. 
We learn right reasons to praise Him and we grow in our understanding and praise of Him. So as we close, I just want to reiterate that with a few questions just to think about this week. Just to think about the Word and how you interact with it. Um, just very simply, are you spending time, or are we spending time in God's Word? We could pontificate all day about the benefits and what God does, but the short of it is we need to be in it. Just like sitting around all day talking about a diet plan or an exercise regimen doesn't help unless we eat less food or we go work out. Talking about God's Word doesn't help us unless we go read it. Does it have a place of reverence above other inputs? As we interact with God's Word, do we give it a proper place? Do we give it reverence about other words on the news, the employers, social media, a good book, even a good Christian book? Do we give God's Word reverence to have the final word in our life? Do our actions towards God's Word reflect that reverence? Do we obey it? Do we memorize it? Do we meditate on it? If we truly believed God handed me this book and it's the inerrant word of God, it should probably change how we act towards it. It should probably change the way we interact with it. We believe it. We obey it. And just finally, is God's word, is God transforming you through the word? over time. God's word should be impacting our life. Some days we feel stuck in something, but day over day, year over year, we should be growing. His word should be changing us. Maybe it's more like a litmus test. We should see God working and doing things in our life over time. If I go put fertilizer in the garden, I expect those plants to be bigger over the next week because they've gotten food. If I go work out every day this week and lift weights, I'd expect to put on muscle. If I wasn't, I'd be doing something wrong and would probably stop. And if we're in God's word and we're giving it proper place, we should be growing. We should be impacted. We should be transforming and God should work in our lives. It's just a litmus test. If it's not happening, it's something to consider. Maybe a more realistic answer to those last two questions or three questions. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We just thank you for a look at your word. It's easy to talk about it. It's an encouraging verse. I just pray you'd be transforming us. Help us be people that are in your word. The psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law, O Lord. Pray that be true of us. Help us grow in loving it. Help us grow in giving your word reverence and making your word the final word in our life and obeying it and walking in it. God, we really want to be people of your word. I pray you'd help us grow in that together. Help us be in your word and walking in it. We just pray you bless this church and help us be a church oriented towards your word. In Jesus' name, amen.